Everyone, welcome to another edition of Founder Wisdom Podcast. Today with us, we have Nick Daze. He is CEO of Heirloom, has a bunch of startup experience, and we're going to have a super interesting podcast. So Nick, can you tell us a bit more about yourself and tell us a bit more about Heirloom? Yeah, um, you already introduced me. Uh, thank you for having me. I, uh, I'm a startup guy. That's really, I think you can summarize me that way. I've Like an insane person, I've spent my entire career in startups. Um, if companies get too big, that's when I kind of get disinterested. Uh, usually, uh, it's usually a, a direct correlation of how big a company is and how many meetings you have to sit through. And I think that's yeah. really my Achilles heel. Um, yeah, I've, I've co-founded a, a number of startups and I've also been an early employee at a number of startups. Um, and uh, right now I'm building Heirloom. Uh, my business partner and co-founder's name is Julian. Uh, and the two of us, we've been collaborating together for uh, about 10 years. Um, he is a, uh, a uh, deeply experienced uh, blockchain engineer. Um, and, uh, and so he led me uh, bravely down the road to what Heirloom is. So at Heirloom, we're building no-code tools for uh, big brands, big enterprise scale customers to easily tokenize assets on the blockchain. Uh, we see a, a really big opportunity to simplify the process of experimenting on blockchains uh, for giant organizations, uh, Fortune 500 companies, universities, government agencies, and the biggest barrier to their entry is the technical uh, bar they have to clear. And so we're lowering that bar by making very simple, very easy to use tools that allow these, uh, these customers to uh, interface with the blockchain. All right. Well, first, I want to dive into what was your your thesis behind focusing yourself in startups for all these years and what did you learn uh, that was super useful to start your own startups later on i think it probably came from um being if i'm honest being unemployable right uh i uh i kind of have no other choice i i have always um uh, struggled with authority, let's say, and I've always uh, liked to kind of create my own uh, games, really, from childhood. Uh, I don't really love playing other people's games. And so whenever I find myself at, um, at, at other people's companies, um, you know, I think that in a good way, right, the positive side of that personality trait is like an endless and insatiable curiosity, where you want to pull a string and you want to follow that string until the end of the universe, um, and you're just obsessed with with learning more, right? Uh, the downside is um, it's a struggle sometimes, uh, or I've had to learn to, and I've, I've gotten more mature over time, at collaborating with others. Um, and that's obviously also a very important part of, of, of anything in life, but especially starting companies. So, um, you know, every personality trait comes with its trade-offs, um, but that's the honest, not so... Um, you know, not so beautiful or heroic reason why I find myself in startups is because I do best when no one is telling me what to do. I have to figure it out myself and um, and succeed or fail by my own brain. So I love the honesty here because I probably have the same problem, yet I don't have the 
insightness or the the self-consciousness to to reflect on that but that's probably a good uh, 25% of why I always founded my own companies and I was never employable so thank you thank you for your honesty I mean there. we can Charles we can talk about it if you'd like uh when we go on a hike in the in the <laughs> woods in northern California which I look sure forward does. to but it's you know it's important to be um as self-aware as possible I look um I, this is not a prescription for anyone listening or you, uh, but I have uh, found it very helpful to be uh, in, in therapy for quite a long time. Yeah. And uh, the reason I say that that's important is because I think as founders, I, I, I think you'll agree with this. Um, we succeed or fail by our ability to accurately perceive what's going on around us and to quickly reorient our approach um, and kind of fail quickly uh, gather information until we succeed. And something that I've found really important just about myself, uh, in a very meta way, right. Is that, um, how can I lead a company or how can I build a product or how can I, um, innovate with the technology and, and iterate and orient, um, when I'm not doing that on myself really. And so I found that very helpful in therapy, um, uh, to, to basically just kind of get out of my own head, look at myself, understand and unpack why I am the way I am what needs work, uh, and, and then do that work. It's kind of doing the, are you familiar with the OODA loop? Nope. Tell us about uh, the OODA loop. This is a, a famous, um, um, uh, mental model that comes from fighter pilots. Um, okay. and it's often used in, uh, in, in startup world or it's talked about in startup world. The OODA, okay. O-O, sorry, OODA stands for observe, orient, decide, and act. And it's a feedback loop of, of decision-making, um, for in, in, high risk circumstances and when making decisions quickly is is mission critical and so um you know i think for me therapy for other people who knows church walking in the woods uh talking to a friend eating magic mushrooms whatever works for you i think being able to perform ooda loops on your own mind and your own psyche is really important um to be able to to improve as a as the founder as a leader as a just a collaborator with your your coworkers percent yesterday i was talking with a guy that organizes mushroom retreats and i had my experiences with that microdosing and heroic dosing as well so that's always cool and i wrote a post today about uh, why i do ultra runs uh, on my side you know i do it for uh, mental growth because it teaches me to be more patient and observe my every thoughts and then analyze if these thoughts are good for me or not you know so it's kind of a, a long run meditation and yeah, the, there's a bunch that's of ways to do it. That's fascinating. I, I'm, I'm really curious if you, cause I've never run an ultra marathon. Uh, I'm very impressed that you, that you do that consistently. Uh, my question for you would be, do you find that pushing your body to that extreme kind of quiets your mind and lets you get kind of out of your own head? Well, um, <clears throat> if anything, it agitates my body. So it certainly doesn't quiet it, but it's, it forces the thoughts to come out because we've learned with time to attach uh, physical bodily pain with thoughts. And that shouldn't be, you know, it's just a signal and that's how they should be interpreted. So what I like about it is that it fires up my, my thoughts and then I can identify them and constantly bring myself to the present and analyze what's behind these thoughts and condition my own brain. And after a while of doing that, whether it takes 16 kilometers or 75 kilometers to tame these thoughts, well, uh, at least if I tame them, 
uh, it will condition my brain, hopefully for the long run, because there's a bunch of chemicals involved in, in ultra runs, you know, there's a bunch of, there's a cocktail of chemicals in your brain. And I, th I think this tends to solidify memories and uh, push everything in, in, the, in the subconscious and, and making it conscious eventually like a seed. Yeah. So it's, it's super powerful tool. That is fascinating. It sounds like that is, that is your therapy. Uh, and I, yeah. I, I really admire and, and respect that. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, and there's a bunch of other forms. And I think some founders, well, they, they come up with uh, a package just from having parents that were conscious of their education and gave them a, a bunch of positive things. I'm not talking about money here, but just a, a solid base, right? Uh, and if you don't start necessarily with that, I, I think only like 5% of founders start with that, truth be told. If you don't start with that package, and I think it's it's like your duty to um, and even if you start with this package to constantly improve um, on your thoughts, you know, yesterday I was checking um, the CEO salaries uh, in the Silicon Valley from uh, <laughs> Drew Houston's uh, 30, 34 million. I think that was in 2013. And I was like, did these CEOs constantly correct uh, their mind and shape their own mind to to reach those level? Was it obviously there's a bit of, of luck in there, but I, I'm like, can we reverse engineer uh, this huge salary granted that, you know, money and power is the goal. If you want to have a, a nice impact on this world, can we reverse engineer these, these salaries and, and change your mind so that you're laser focused on how to generate money and, and being happy at the same time. Do you, do you get what I'm saying here? Any comments? I get on that? what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Um, and I'm not an expert in studying uh, high achieving CEOs, but from what I do know, um, I think it's it's complicated and uh, and yet uh, there's that old expression right that like um, uh, something like uh, uh, chance favors the prepared mind I think is fortune favors is. the brave or something like fortune that. favors the bold something like that but I think the core behind it right is that I believe luck happens right but if you um, I'm also a big gardener I'm going to mix my metaphors here like. <laughs> If a, if a seed right falls on the ground right that's a that's a, an opportunity and seeds yeah. can fall on the ground accidentally by randomness uh, by luck if you will and but it, it it the outcome of what that seed discovers right is highly variable depending on the what surface it lands on right yeah and so I think of a lot of high achieving people in in any industry let alone in Silicon Valley um, yes yeah, some of them are going to be. Uh, not very self-aware jerks uh, and they're going to kind of uh, through brute force or luck or network or intelligence, they're going to get to that summit. But yeah. I would imagine that most of them, uh, most people that reach that, uh, that level, luck has a lot to do with it um, because they are outliers, but they've probably laid a good foundation of mental health, physical health, good processes, good routines, um, great management styles, great communication styles. This is work that people do for years and years, their whole life, really. And then the moment that that luck happens, they're able to capitalize upon that luck. Um, because I think there are probably just as many people uh, like Drew Houston. Um, I bet there are a lot of people that are as smart uh, and as capable that did not or have not yet had their luck moment. And that's why they are not earning $34 million a year. <laughs> and there are other people that um, did have the same luck as Drew Houston, but they didn't have, they didn't do the work 
And so that seed fell on concrete, let's say, and wasn't able to grow, right? So yeah. it's a bit of a survivor bias problem, right? Where it's like, we look at the exceptional outliers and we say, wow, these amazing people, what are they doing? And it's kind of a tricky data and analysis problem yeah. because there are so many other cases that are not brought to our attention because they're not the CEO making $34 million, right? Correct. These are the, the 1%. And yeah, I love the analogy, the seed being kind of yourself and uh, the ground being the, the terrain, let's say, like in Silicon Valley, if the VC community is there, if um, basically the market is prepared for your app and so forth. So reality is it's a, it's, yeah, it's a very complex question and requires a, a complex answer. But um, if we know what to what thoughts will lead to our success and if if we know that awareness of our thoughts makes us who we are and if we know that anything is possible if we set our mind to why aren't we doing it why are i'm why aren't we doing what why aren't we achieving our full potential i basically one of the simplest philosophy out there is that if you can control your thoughts right and you know that your thoughts have effects on emotions and your future and if you know that if you would analyze your all your very thoughts like i would be doing tomorrow uh, during my ultra trail if i would analyze every thought and i would label as uh, either no they're not useful and so i shouldn't think them about them and yes it's useful i should think more about them if we know that this philosophy is like one of the basic one to success in life and in startups why aren't we doing it well i think you probably are doing it and i think i'm trying my best to do it uh but if your question is why isn't everyone doing it um i think well, that's really I'm, I'm not doing it like all the time myself because i tend to you know forget or I don't know, get caught up in complexity and just not focusing on it, for example. So there's, well, I sure, think there's you're a bunch a, of you're factors. An, you're an organism in the world. Um, you're not a pure mind. Um, my wife teases me that sometimes she thinks that I wish I was a brain in a jar with robot legs or something <laughs> because of how much I, I neglect my, my body in pursuit of pushing my mind but uh, certainly not an ultra marathoner. But I would say this, like I, I wouldn't beat yourself up and I would ask anyone listening to not beat themselves up. Yeah. We are, uh, whether we like it or not, you know, animals on the surface of this earth and our bodies are complex systems that, have, uh, that need to be taken care of and maintained. Um, we have competing needs. Uh, your needs are not just to run an ultra marathon successfully. It is to run a business successfully. It is to be loved. It is to eat food. It is to stay healthy. It is to have friends, etc. And so, um, you know, I, I think everyone can be doing things to improve their um, their uh, efficiency is the wrong word. Um, everyone can be doing things to improve their their Our outcomes. Process. But not everyone's going to be uh, uh, an ultra marathon or making $34 million a year. Um, that is just not how we've structured our society. Um, and I think, I think people need like more self-awareness as well. Yeah, it's like, because I don't think forgiveness, for example, is possible without self-awareness and observing yourself. And that takes some skills, you know, and it takes... A vulnerability, I think, and radical honesty with yourself. Asking feedback yeah. from others can help also sometimes, although it's painful. What do you think about those strategies? I think you're absolutely right. Um, and as a person that's trying very hard to be kinder to myself, uh, I, this resonates a lot. 
I wanted yeah. to I want to add one thing to what you said though, and that is uh, asking the input of others without being thoughtful of who you're asking that input from can be very dangerous. Um, yeah, for I sure. think it, for me, it has taken me a very, very long time to identify not only the people I trust, but the people that I trust that also have incentives aligned with me to yeah. give me accurate feedback. Because there are even dear friends of mine that I trust deeply, but if I'm having a beer with them and I say, hey, could you give me some feedback about how I am? They're not going to really tell me the truth only because that's a kind of a socially awkward thing to be asking. Yeah. But for me, I, I'd say the two, two of the people um, that come to mind are my, my wife um, yeah. and my business partner, right? Cool. And they both have in different ways, very aligned incentives and a deep and profound trust built uh, between us to be able to ask that question and get honest feedback. And they know that I'm asking it from a sincere desire to improve and that I'm going to listen to that feedback and I'm going to digest it and I'm going to act upon it. Um, so that's a little long-winded, but I wanted to alter what you said just a little bit and say, be careful who you ask for feedback from. That's super good. I 100% agree. Let's uh, shift uh, gears a little bit and talk a bit more about Heirloom. So you're kind of the Venn diagram between no-code and Web3. Tell us yes. why no-code is trendy and then proceed in telling us the, the same about Web3. Great question. So uh, trendiness, no-code and trendiness Web3. I would say... Um, I would push back a little bit and say that, so, okay, let me not be difficult on your podcast. Uh, <laughs> you can uh, push back. Trend, it, it makes a better podcast. No code, is, no code is trendy in that we read headlines in, in the news media about no code tools. Investors invest in no code tools, sure. I do though think that it's a very important step in the evolution of any technology where it goes, where a technology um, starts off as a crazy uh, uh, sharp tool uh, that only experts or professionals really use and interact with. Uh, the community's figuring out what the tool or the technology can do. Um, processes are refined, the technology is stabilized, et cetera. And then there's a, a moment where uh, I think every technology goes through this moment where uh, it has to graduate to a new, uh, a new stage or a new phase where it either fails to graduate and it ends up just being an obscure technology that never really goes mainstream, or if it's able to go mainstream, it goes mainstream by bringing the benefits of that technology to a much wider pool of users of that technology. And, and I think this distribution works in many circumstances across many technologies, but usually that order of magnitude increase in the size of the pie occurs because the technology becomes more accessible in whatever way. It becomes easier to use, it becomes cheaper to use, it becomes faster to use, it becomes safer to use, sometimes all of those things. And I think that I think applying the no code kind of mentality or value proposition to Web3 is critical to onboarding the next billion users to the ecosystem. Um, I think a lot about normal smart people in my life that are not really technical like you or me right i think about my, my 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 brothers or my sister these are professional people they make a living they live their lives they're they live fulfilled lives and have families and friends and but they're not in the weeds of technology right and when i think what gets my 
sister, right, who's a uh, an elementary school teacher, and she's got three kids, and she's smart as hell. She's got more degrees than I do, right? Uh, what gets her to become Web3 native? Um, and I think it is uh, it is making the tools easier for her to use, um, not because she's not smart. She's very smart, but because she doesn't have time to deal with finicky cutting edge technology that's not going to work all the time and is going to have too much of a learning curve. Um, so I think making tools for her to onboard into Web3 and also making tools, and this is where we're focused right now, for the mainstream brands that she already trusts that are not Web3 native to become Web3 native, right? So when I talk to my sister, I say, what do you trust? What brands do you trust? I trust Patagonia. I trust Apple. Um, here's a really topical one. I trust Starbucks, right? I go to Starbucks a few times a week. I get a coffee and a sandwich. Well, what do we see? We see Starbucks teaming up with Polygon, right? To make a really useful real world use case, loyalty points for Starbucks customers, bring that to Web3 and leverage the technologies and the value propositions and the benefits of these technologies and bring them to the millions upon millions of people that interface with Starbucks brand every single day, right? And so I think this is an example of the wave of the future and the way we go from 1% of humans in the world having a crypto wallet to 10%, right? Uh, but it's going to take time and it's going to take a lot of great tools that are designed for normal smart people that don't have the time to deal with finicky cutting edge tools that don't work reliably, if that makes sense. Makes sense. <clears throat> no code for me, uh, personally. One, as a manager, I need, I mean, I can be technical, but I don't have the time to learn every snippet of codes. I think that's a pure waste of my time. You know, people say, oh, become a coder and yeah, get paid 300K minimum per year. Sure. But I can get paid way more being a manager and being a leader, managing those people, uh, namely uh, in my own company. So Uh, and if I need to manage these folks, I need to understand what they're doing. No code is perfect for that. I also think that most programmers do not know how to code in the same language. They don't even understand what they code one another. And yeah. that causes problem. A no code can just centralize everything. That's the second advantage that I see there. And now combining that with Web3, Web3, yes, is really cool. Lots of blockchain advantages. Um, I can think of, for example, uh, NFTs as well for Starbucks, you know, every, uh, every thousand coffees, you get NFTs, every coffee and yeah, one, one thousand, one, yeah. every thousand coffees, you get a special golden NFT, which you can resell and so forth. So that will have the customer buy more coffee. And when you sell the NFT, Starbucks can even get 10%, you know, so Um, exactly. I, I think this this can be like super cool. What other projects like that uh, did you have in mind and how will Hairloom officially launch? Will it be by collaborating with a big brand like that? Yeah, actually, our first set of customers are some of the best universities in the United States. And we're talking to universities all around the world about leveraging our technology. And the first thing we're doing, I think, paints this picture really, really clearly. Um We're allowing administrators and faculty and administrators at universities to uh, tokenize university degrees, uh, academic credentials, and other types of skills and experiences that are earned within an academic context of higher education, and then distribute those uh, tokenized assets to their students, their graduates, their alumni, right? So that those people can present those credentials with cryptographic proof. 
uh, at, in various use cases throughout their life. And I think this is a use case that I've seen written about in many op-eds and many tweet storms. We're actually doing it. We're actually building it. Um, and we are uh, imminently announcing our, our, our launch partners, but I would be surprised if you were not aware of several of the partners that we're launching with. So I'm really excited for that, that day to come. I'm sorry, I have to be a little bit secretive about, um, about the specific roster at on this day, but um, this is, I, we think, the first great uh, functional use case of bringing no-code tools um, to create these assets and distribute them and experiment with them. Uh, one other thing I want to mention is that this use case is, we think, one of the first commercial uses of what are effectively what Vitalik wrote about earlier this year as a soul-bound token, right? Um, this is a proof that you have a computer science degree or that you were a member of a, of, of a sorority or that you, uh, or that you volunteered 10,000 hours with a charity um, or that you earned a scholarship or you graduated magna cum laude, right, from your university. These are all things that add up to paint a very specific and very economically valuable picture of who you are and how that's different from who I am um, and the ability to prove that at millisecond latency and take those assets throughout your life and use them in various ways, we get very, very excited about. Um, we have other use cases that we are in the early phases of piloting, but our first big production use case is academic credentials on the blockchain, and we're really excited about it. 100%. Wow, that's uh, that's exciting. Fortunately, we're all already out of time. I know you have a busy schedule. Where can uh, people find out more about you, Nick, and about Heirloom? Yeah, well, first I'll point you to, to uh, the company Heirloom. Uh, you can visit our website at heirloom.io, H-E-I-R-L-O-O-M.io. Um, we're also on, uh, you'll find all of our social media there. And then uh, I'm I'm on Twitter a lot. Uh, my my handle is Nick Daze, uh, N-I-C-K-D-A-Z-E. Um, and uh, yeah, we're trying to do everything we can to evangelize these technologies, to build a community, to be accessible ourselves uh, as members of the team of Heirloom, right? It's one thing to build no-code tools for people and just, uh, and kind of sit quietly in, a, in an ivory tower, let everybody figure it out. We believe that as a team that we have to get out into the world and we have to be an accessible face, a friendly face of these technologies as well. Um, to help uh, to help uh, promote adoption of the technologies. So uh, find us there. We'd love if you join the conversation. And um, uh, yeah, we're happy to to connect again soon. I, I sincerely would love to go hiking with you among the redwoods next time you're in Northern California. Sure, we'll we'll hundred percent go, man. Thank you so much. Wonderful, Charles. Thank you.